everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I got my brother and my producer, Joel. He is in the studio with me as well. And today we are diving into one of the most prolific and most documented demonic possession cases in history. And that is the exorcisms of Anna Eklund. Now, before we get into this absolutely crazy exorcism case, I have a bit of a case developing here as well. If you listen to our last podcast, I was mentioning how we've been having a lot of strange issues with the audio and just some of the equipment here in the studio that doesn't make any sense whatsoever because all this stuff is new. It was all working just fine like six months ago. And now all of a sudden, seems like pretty much since we started this show, it's it's gotten worse with time. And last week was just like at a peak activity with just glitches, things happening, audio, my camera randomly freezes and vi- vibrates, I guess. And I know some people are gonna think that this is just, you know, I'm being dramatic or this is not really anything but some technical issues, which it could be. My mixer could be totally shot and just like randomly, you know, having freakouts, but it seems like there might be something else going on because I'll share a little uh, spooky story for you. So the other night I'm in my room in my house. So this is actually a garage that I built on the outside of my house so I can walk to and from my house from it. And last night or a few nights ago, I was actually just, I was up, I was on my computer working and all of a sudden, you know, my dogs and my wife are asleep. I hear this knocking on the window and it seems like it's coming from near my front door, kind of in my dining room area. And it was clear. It was like clear as can be. Like I was like, oh, somebody's definitely at the front of my house. And this is probably like, fuck, like one in the morning. So what I thought was weird too at first was that my dogs, if they hear the slightest noise, like a knocking, they would be up and barking. Oh, they would be. A hundred percent. And Joel can attest to that. Like they would be going crazy and they didn't. And and they might've just slept through it, but they, not a, not a peep, didn't even seem to phase them at all. And so I get up and I'm like, what the fuck? Start walking to the front and nothing. It's completely quiet, nothing. And there's obviously nobody outside. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? Yeah. It literally sounded like somebody was rapping on my window real quick and then took off or disappeared. Literally the following day, I'm downstairs like I do all the time. I'm doing laundry. I'm taking stuff out of my dryer. And all of a sudden I hear this like something dropping and i i'm like thinking what the fuck is this did an animal just like drop down my dryer vent hose and i've never heard this sound before and and then it was gone and i was just like what the fuck is going on so i'm starting to think that you know something is uh is happening and we're trying to figure out if it's technical so joel and i are going to do a complete like revamp of our whole audio setup and see if it's that because it could definitely just be are my mixers having issues? It could be, you know, cables, things like that, even though I've changed them out a million times. And we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we need to do a full-on investigation. And I haven't smudged or, you know, burned stage in here at all yet because I want to see if there is actual activity going on in here or if it's just my jank-ass setup that I have <laughs> in here right now. So we'll see. Yeah, dude, I say we just like, you know, do a little investigation ourselves because you already have all the ghost equipment. So we could just capture the whole saging on camera. We'll, you know, capture. We should do that. Trying to speak to whatever is in here. (laughs) 
You should. So. Maybe we'll uh, put that a little bonus on, on the YouTube. So if you're not subscribed on YouTube or watched it on YouTube yet, it's definitely worth it. Definitely, we put a lot of stuff in there that you're probably thinking about in your head while you're listening. Like, what does this person look like? Or what is that? You know, what's going on there? That's where it's at is on YouTube. So check us out on YouTube. Also, guys, one easy way to support us and help us out is just by going to Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button for us. It really helps us out. Even uh, some of you that only watch us on YouTube, go go to Apple Podcasts and go to Spotify as well. Follow there. It does really help us out and it's free to you. only takes a minute. And I just want to thank everyone for leaving a review on the Apple Podcasts app and YouTube as well. Always seeing your guys' comments on there. But, you know, we love to hear your guys' feedback and what you think about the show. And we're always looking at like ways to improve the show as well. So uh, definitely appreciate everyone doing that. Yeah, seriously, it does. It does mean a lot to us. We definitely take the time to go see what you guys are saying, especially about this crazy shit going on in the studio. And then we're supposed to have a sign today. I know I mentioned this a few weeks back. We were going to have this badass fucking sign, Skull, LOP, glowing orange and black, Halloween 24-7. And my second sign comes in the other day because the first one was fucked up, broken. Even worse this time. Even worse. So now I'm back at square one to find a new sign provider because (laughs) this is crazy. I'm starting to think, man, what if the show was cursed (laughs) or I cursed it somehow? I don't know. It, hey, as long as our, our numbers keep going up, that's, that's, that's all I care about. Right. As long as you guys keep enjoying it, you keep joining us every week. You know, like we, we've been really trying to talk about like, where is the show going to go? And, and I'm starting to realize like, I want to take you guys some places that, and tell you some things that you've never heard before. That's my goal is like, I feel like there's so many of these topics that I've covered that a lot of you have already heard a million times. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, I got a couple of new things out of there, but for the most part, I know the story, you know, I know mm-hmm. these cases that you're talking about. So my, my goal going into next year, especially is I'm going to try to bring you guys some stuff that will blow your mind and scare you to all hell that you've never heard of before, or very few of you have heard of. And we'll see, we'll see where that takes us because I really enjoy this stuff that is not, you know, overly done on the internet because there's so many good good ones out there that everybody does, but there's also so many hidden gems. So with that being said, we'll put an email uh, in the description of the or the show notes for you. If you have any suggestions for us of, of interesting cases, paranormal, true crime that are dark enough for the show, definitely let us know because I, I would love to go through and see what's out there and uh, hopefully bring you guys some uh, really good shit next year. So with that being said, though, let's not waste any more time and let's talk about some demonic possession. This particular case is going to be about a woman named Anna Eklund. And this is a very interesting one because her name her actual name is pretty much unknown. She goes by these, you know, pseudonyms or pseudonyms of of these, you know, Anna Eklund and Emmett Bush and Emmett Schmidt and and things like that. But we don't actually know who this person is is because this case of demonic possession was so bad that basically the priests and the exorcists and the people involved with the exorcism of Anna Eklund decided to keep her anonymous and keep it completely confidential. Cause this is one of those rare cases where all the information that we have from it is from the actual priest and exorcist that did the exorcism. So all of this information of this story pretty much comes from their transcripts of the actual exorcism and, you know, the follow-up and all of that. And, you know, like in the case of 
Annalise Michelle that we covered, there was a little bit more from the public. You know, there was reporters and media that were talking about it because it was, you know, more out there in the open. But this one is purely from the standpoint of the priest in the Catholic Church. So it'll be very interesting to see where this case takes us. And I think it's interesting that both Anna Eklund and Anna Lise Michelle had the same name. You know, it's just kind of trippy Anna, to think about yeah. that, you know. I, I, I don't know if, if that's just a coincidence or if the name Anna is cursed. And the fact that it's, you know, females yeah, that are seemingly, you know, we hear more possession stories about, which I find very interesting. And I wonder why that is. You know, I wonder if it's just because there's been more exorcisms done on females or, you know, what the deal is there? Because it's, yeah. it's kind of weird that like all the well-known possession cases that we know of, at least that I've seen are women mm-hmm. or young girls. And the fact that there's not like, I feel like there should be equal as many guys out there that are possessed or, or more. Or I wonder if it's just kind of this thing of, you know, for whatever reason, the ones that are about the women are worse. So they end up making it to the surface more is, is my guess is that maybe they should have just have experienced, you know, more intense possession. Yeah, the only guy I can think of is Butch from the Amityville Horror because he right. was showing clear signs of possession. So, yeah, that's very true. That's probably the most famous one, I would say. Yeah. Uh, of men or males that were demonically possessed. Obviously, we talked about Arnie, you know, and the devil made me do it. So, you know, there's definitely other cases out there, but it seems like, you know, the exorcism of this and the ones that end up being movies, they tried to make a movie out of this case and I, it utterly failed. But it's interesting, you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose, you know, I think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that it just seems, I I don't know, it seems like their experiences are more terrifying always, you know, Mm -hmm. females are than, than men. I don't know why that is, but just thought that was kind of interesting. So like I said, the real name of Anna Eklund is pretty much unknown, but it's possible she was an individual named Emma Bush. But for the sake of this episode, I'm going to call her strictly Anna Eklund because that's pretty much what she's called throughout the entire story, but just know that her real name could potentially be Emma Bush Schmidt. So if Anna was in fact Emma Bush, then as far as what we know about Emma Bush was that she was born in Switzerland on March 23rd, 1882 to German parents. Now her family ended up relocating to the United States to Marathon, Wisconsin when she was very young. And again, you know, she's going by this pseudonym because they're trying to keep her identity hidden because of how crazy and terrifying this case of demonic possession was in her early life. So not much is known about Anna Eklund's mother either. All we know is that she was a devout Catholic and she introduced her daughter to faith early on, but it's thought that she likely died in the early 1890s. It's also known that while Anna's mother was still alive, her father, Jacob, started having an affair with Anna's aunt Mina. And what's very weird about this relationship is that Mina was actually related to Jacob. We don't exactly know how he was related to her, but it's possible that she was his blood related sister, sister sister-in-law, or even stepsister. And what's interesting about this aunt Mina is that she was known for practicing black magic. And a lot of people in the town that they lived in would refer to her as a witch. But when Anna was young, she was known to be very friendly charming and sweet. She was also a devout Catholic, just like her mother was. She'd go to mass several times a week and was always comforted by the rituals of the Catholic church. Her father, Jacob was an abusive alcoholic 
and not a religious man at all. It was actually against the Catholic Church and would even openly mock Anna for her and her mother's faith. When Anna was 10 years old, Jacob tried to initiate a sexual relationship with her, but Anna refused his advances on her. And after this happened, allegedly Jacob retaliated on her by convincing Aunt Mina to curse his daughter by putting spells and hexes on her food so that she would consume it and then become cursed. Not only did she have to deal with her Aunt Mina trying to curse her, but her father did not give up on his sexual advances, and he continued to try and create a relationship with her, as well as molesting her potentially. And despite all of this, Anna rarely spoke poorly about her father, but much later she would recall a memory of the curse he put on her. But when Anna turned 14 years old, things just started going downhill even more, because she started acting very strange and sick all the time. Anna also noticed that when she'd go to mass or church, she oftentimes felt even sicker than she did before. And every time she was inside, she couldn't wait till she could get out of the church. She tried to pray or take comfort in the religious items that Catholics hold very dear to them, like her crucifix or her rosary beads. But every time she brought these near her, it only made the sickness worse. Not only that, she had intrusive and deeply disturbing thoughts. And oftentimes she'd say these things out loud without knowing it. She would use obscene, vulgar language and would describe very, very disturbing sexual acts. And obviously, this is not something normal for her at all, but she just felt like something was telling her to say these things. And to somebody like Anna, the best thing that you could possibly do is continue to force yourself to go to Mass, hoping that it would help her with the sickness she was battling. And then as time went on, she started experiencing these impulses while she was in mass to destroy the holy water fonts or to even physically attack the priest. And she'd even describe out loud how she wanted to hurt the priest in terrifying detail. This is wild, but while she would take communion, which if you've never taken communion before, typically it's sort of a ritual that a lot of churches do where you, you know, you eat bread or a cracker to symbolize the body of Christ. And then you drink a little cup of either wine or grape juice, depending on your church that symbolizes the blood of Christ. So when Anna would partake in communion, she'd drink it, she'd eat you know, the body of Christ, then she would immediately throw it all up. So that's kind of frightening to think about. I wonder if she's starting to add all these things up in her head, like what? Like if that were me, I'd be like, what the fuck is taking over me? Like I'm this devout Catholic. I'm here because I believe all this and you know, I'm following God. Why is this happening to me? That's what I would be thinking if I were her. But apparently the people at the church just assumed she had the flu. But Anna knew something more sinister was happening to her. She just didn't know what. Over time, these symptoms and these impulses got worse and worse until the point where if she even saw a religious object like a Bible, it would send her into a total meltdown, just screaming all over the place, screaming obscenities, just acting crazy. Eventually, it got so bad that she couldn't even step near a church. Otherwise, it would send her into these violent fits. And every time she would try to fight through one of these you know, meltdowns, and all she could feel the entire time was panic taking her over and this overall feeling of dread. And she described it as almost an unseen physical force was trying to stop her. So she stopped going near the church, stopped praying altogether, and got rid of any items related to her faith, completely abandoned it altogether. 
And this is when she fell into a very deep depression and started experiencing very intense mood swings because this whole time her mind is a very, very dark place and it's just overwhelmed by all these disturbing thoughts. And she felt like at this point she had no control over emotions or actions and she just felt like she was going insane. Like this is just getting to a point where she doesn't even know what to do. She's losing all control. Anna talked about depraved sex acts that she would have no way of even knowing about. She explained these acts in detail and described how she wanted to physically hurt the priests and other people involved, which when she would say these things, can you imagine, you know, her parents and the other people around her hearing this come out of her mouth? They must've been so shocked. They're probably like, what is happening to her? Yeah. I'm sure they were freaking the fuck out because Anna sounded like a really, you know, innocent daughter of theirs and to see a complete transformation in this short amount of time. It had to have been so alarming for him. And the key details for why I feel like this is falling in the category of a demonic possession case is the fact that there is a clear sort of, you know, effect that the actual church is having. You know, the church is having a very negative effect on her in the sense that if she goes near it, then it's repulsed. It wants to be as far away from, you know, a holy place as possible. So obviously that's why we're going down the demonic possession road. Is there other possible scenarios here? Absolutely. We'll talk about more of that later. These violent fits that Anna had got worse and worse and worse. So much so when she was overcome with rage, she would just scream and smash anything she saw. And nothing seemed to be able to stop these outbursts. Once she started them, she had no memory of anything she did or said. So obviously Anna's going down a very dark road and it's causing her to start isolating herself to the point where she refused to see her friends, family members, or people from the church anymore, which man, this sounds like a very like stereotypical exorcism case, especially some of the ones that we've talked about in the past. This seems exactly. That was the same thing that happened with Annalise Michelle was she started to isolate herself in the bedroom and you know, breaking into, th- you know, breaking things and acting like crazy pretty much. So same thing is happening here. Then around 1908, when Anna was about 26 years old, that was when they decided to bring her to some doctors and psychiatrists to see if, you know, maybe there's something mentally wrong with her. Let's see if we can get her diagnosed with something. But after seeing multiple doctors and psychiatrists, None of them apparently could find anything that would explain these odd behaviors or violent outbursts. Hmm. I don't know. I would like to see the the reports that they had because I'm sure they noticed something, right? Like I'm like, yeah. In so many of these cases, I'm like, you really took them to multiple doctors and psychiatrists and not they didn't have anything to say. Like, well, they had to have some comments. Like, hey, there's a possibility that mm-hmm. she might have this or have that. But I think. I mean, we're talking about early 1900s here. So, you know, a mental health evaluation was probably way, way different. And our understanding of mental illnesses at that time was probably very, you know, we didn't understand a lot. And, you know, people were just crazy and people just, you know, were this or that. And so I think that could potentially be the big, big thing here is that they just didn't have anything that they knew of to diagnose her with. But it is also possible that there is, they did have some, I mean, I don't know what knowledge they had, but I would like to see those notes. I'm sure they noticed something off about Anna Eklund. Her violent outburst got so bad 
to the point where they were just straight bizarre because at this point she'd be smashing shit yelling, but she was starting to speak Latin, which again, you know, going back to, you know, speaking Latin Mm -hmm. and you know how that's tied to demonic entities and all the, you know, all anybody else knew or she knew was that it was a language they didn't know. It was just as unknown. If you ever heard Latin spoke before, it's, it's a very interesting to listen to. Maybe we'll put a little clip in here so you can kind of hear what Latin sounds like. Then in 1912, the Catholic church decided it was time to step in. Now we don't know exactly how they got involved. I mean, obviously she went to the church for a long time as she was coming down with these symptoms and I, I think they probably just observed her strange behavior. I'm sure she had some outbursts and they're like, oh, yeah, something's something's a brewing in, in Anna Eklund for sure. Like there's no way that, you know, she didn't do something weird around a church goer or something like that. But it's also been said that perhaps her aunt Mina may have even gotten the church involved because she felt bad that she had cursed Anna and now Anna was going through this nightmare. So this is when the church brought in Father Theophilus Reisinger to evaluate Anna in order to see if she needed an exorcism or not. Father Reisinger was a priest for a little over 10 years and he'd actually studied exorcisms pretty extensively and he was actually recruited by Bishop Thomas Dunn of Des Moines, Iowa in order to come in and perform Anna's exorcism if that was needed. So Father Reisinger gets brought in and he sits down and talks to Anna and he starts noting different things about her speech. The first thing that he noticed about Anna was the fact that, you know, she did not want to be around any religious objects, prayers, or, you know, hear the Bible read or anything like that. Plus, he noticed that Anna knew languages that she didn't know before, including Latin, Hebrew, Italian, and Polish. Wow, that's that's a lot of languages. I can barely speak a full sentence in Spanish. <laughs> Latin, Dude, too? Save, yeah. I'm, I'm always jealous of people that know multiple languages. Oh, I know, right? So impressive. If I had more time in my day that would be something i would do i'd study a foreign language i feel like so many of us americans are just like you know so left behind by the rest of the world because we don't know another language when so many people do and i mean four languages that's really impressive for sure latin's not an easy one i know some people took latin in school i was like latin what the are you gonna do with latin dude (laughs) who are you gonna speak latin to can you imagine if you just like were walking down the street and two dudes were like speaking Latin to each other? Yeah, dude, they probably think so they're the like, ordinary. <laughs> yeah. like, what's going on here, man? One of the first things that Father Reisinger decided to do was that he would pray in Latin. And once he started praying in Latin, she would become very violent. But if he didn't pray and just spoke to her in Latin, she was just fine. She was able to have a conversation with him. He then performed another test where he would present Anna with objects secretly blessed or sprinkled with holy water. And of course, when he presented these to Anna, she would react violently towards them. And one time, Father Reisinger just used tap water in order to test her. And guess what? She passed the test. She didn't react at all to this object with tap water on it. So at this point, he concluded that an exorcism was absolutely necessary. Clearly, the Latin is concerning the violent outbursts and the fact that she is reacting to holy water in a very negative way, which, you know, according to the Catholic Church, this is a clear sign of demonic possession. At this point in time, Anna was 30 years old, and her exorcism was about to take place on June 18th, 1912. 
Very few details are known about this first exorcism, but Father Reisinger and Anna both believed that it was one and done. It was a success. That they were able to drive this demon out of her, and Anna would be able to go on and lead a normal life for many years. Meanwhile, at this time, Anna's father Jacob was on his deathbed. Jacob actually mocked and insulted the priest who was giving him his last rites. So basically, he went to his grave a bitter, angry man. Her Aunt Mina also died as well shortly after. So for a little while, Anna felt like, okay, I'm good. You know, did the exorcism. Father Reisinger said I'm okay. I'm good to live my life. And now I don't have to deal with my dad. I don't have to deal with Aunt Mina anymore. But unfortunately, this was very short-lived. Because she then felt like she was being tormented by her Aunt Mina and her father's spirits. She again started to feel disgusted by religious objects and the church all over again. She was again haunted by disturbing sexual thoughts that she had no control over. One day, Anna was meeting with her spiritual counselor and was suddenly overwhelmed by strong feelings of rage. She lunged forward and tried to suffocate and choke out the counselor. And again, she started to destroy any religious object she saw. And the faint voices that she heard before became much louder this time around. Anna thought these things she was experiencing might just be symptoms of a medical problem. She again went to multiple doctors who examined her completely and ran a multitude of tests. And they all found her to be physically and mentally well and offered no treatments whatsoever. So again, when the doctors failed her and she's experiencing this horrible sickness again, she decided to go back to the church. And this time for the next couple of years, the church really was like, well, we don't really know what to do. We can just pray over you. We can do some rites. We can hope for the best that whatever Anna's dealing with will pass or will leave her. But nothing worked. And as the priest did before, they tried to pray in Latin in hopes that they could communicate with whatever was inside of her and drive it out. But again, all this did was piss Anna off. So much so that she would even foam at the mouth and would even hiss at the priests. Again, they tried to bring the religious objects sprinkled with holy water into the room, but all this did was enrage her even more. And after years and years of trying to help her, the priests had no other explanation for her what was happening to her than a very, very strong case of demonic possession, stronger than anything that they could cast out. And it was at this point that they really had a serious conversation with her about the fact that she was most likely possessed. But after all this time that had passed, she was just confused at this point. I mean, she had gone to doctors again. Everybody's telling her something different. So to hear that you are possessed by the devil, you are possessed by demons is going to be confusing for anybody. In 1928, when Anna was 46 years old, the church formally diagnosed her condition as demonic possession. That's what they marked it down as. And by this time, Father Reisinger, man, he's been racking up the the exorcism count. He's considered one of the top experts in exorcisms in the entire country. And Anna believed that he could help her once again. Once again, what? Just piss off the demons inside her even more? I mean, the first exorcism seemed to you know, maybe send the possession away for, you know, a few days, but, or a few weeks or whatever the time was, but it came right back. So what's bringing Father Reisinger really going to do? Make it even worse, probably. It was at this point that Father Reisinger decided that it was time for some serious exorcisms to take place. 
spread out over weeks or even months of time. So if you're not familiar with exorcisms, there's different levels of exorcisms. And they performed a level one, I guess is what you could call it, exorcism for her initially. Level two, three, and there's probably more get more serious. It's longer, you know, more intense, and it's just more of them, you know, in succession of each other until whatever is possessing her is driven out. That's kind of the idea behind it. And they bring in relics, they bring in, you know, holy water, uh, other things that we probably don't even know about that they use in order to remove the demon essentially, or the entity from the possessed person. But that was his plan was we're going to do this as long as we need to until we rid Anna of whatever is inside her. And because things were going up a notch here, the church decided to make Anna's exorcism basically a complete secret. They were not going to tell anybody about it. It was going to be 100% hidden from the public. They didn't want any media attention, and they wanted to make sure Anna could go back to a normal life if they were able to do a successful exorcism, you know, like who would want to be known as the person that was possessed? You know, how do you go through life if you're blasted in the media or in the newspaper at this time? You know, people are always going to look at you a little funny, right? Yeah, definitely. Always think that, are you sure they got the demons out of you? Like you might still be possessed. I mean, I'm sure back then that was especially hard to deal with because, I mean, a lot of people were religious. A lot of people probably believed that she was possessed by the devil or, or by demonic entities of some some kind. So the next order of business was to try and find somewhere secure and remote enough that they could do this exorcism in complete secret. Father Reisinger ended up finding a covenant owned by the Franciscan sisters in Erling, Iowa, and it was the perfect spot. In the 1920s, Erling was a small town with a population of just a few hundred people. It was a very secluded area, but it had a railroad station to make traveling there easier. And the only people who lived at the covenant were part of the church and in stone walls would provide complete privacy for what was about to happen. Father Reisinger needed permission from the mother superior or head nun of the covenant, as well as permission from the local parish pastor. Luckily, this pastor was his longtime friend, Father Joseph Steiger. Father Reisinger wanted to see his friend to get his blessing for the exorcism to take place within his district. Father Steiger was very uneasy about the whole thing, though, but he didn't want to turn away his friend. Assuming the mother superior would deny the request, though, he agreed. But Father Reisinger was one step ahead. He had already gotten permission from the mother superior, and his plans for Anna to travel there were underway already. At this point, Father Steiger could have still shut this exorcism down, but he reluctantly agreed to let it go forward. It's interesting how there's a whole approval system for these Catholic exorcisms to take place, but the first question pops into my mind is, why? You know, it's like, why are they trying to hide something about certain things that they're doing within the exorcism that could expose their Catholic faith in some way? I I don't know. It just baffles me how when they have a demonic possession case that they can't just immediately, you know, do what they need to do. Yeah. You think they would spring into action right away and there, there wouldn't be this whole like approval process. But I think because of the way they have their whole system set up, I think Mm -hmm. it's so a way that they can, you know, there's checks and balances and cause you could think too, that maybe some people might take advantage of that and go way over the top, you know, oh, if you're yeah, a priest, that, you yeah, know, that's true. if you could just do exorcisms all the time, like if you really believe in this stuff, then you believe that it could be, you know, to, you know, could make the church look bad. It could 
have a negative effect on somebody. So I, I get why, cause it is a very like ritualistic, you know, Catholic practice that even now, if you were to go ask, you know, a priest or, or something like that, they'd probably look at you funny. They'd be like, cause I, I think there's a lot of churches still that don't even acknowledge that this is something they do. Like this is kind of a thing they did back in the day that is not really around anymore. I was thinking that too, cause I, I live really close to a, uh, a church, uh, a parish. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I should go in there and say, could I have somebody come out and do an exorcism <laughs> on my studio and see what they say? Right. J- just like in film it maybe and like get yeah. the react because I'm genuinely curious to see what they would say. And from all the research I've done, the answer I'd probably get is just blank stare at you and be right. And probably Crickets. think I'm like trolling them or something yeah. and they'd yeah. be offended. And of course I don't want to do that, but I just, thought that was like interesting I'm like wonder what they would actually say but i was like i think i have my studio as demonic entity <laughs> in it somewhere yeah. you know what they would do if they would just laugh at you or be like go pray or something like, <laughs> right. i'm genuinely interested maybe somebody out there knows but around this time anna was traveling by train from wisconsin to iowa she was also accompanied by another priest her behavior the entire trip was completely erratic so much so that the priest that was with her would have to warn the workers on the train to look out for Anna when she went into one of her violent fits. When they got to the Earling station, another priest met them in order to take Anna back to the convent. But right before they got there, Anna lunged at the priest and tried to choke him. Father Risinger decided at this point that they would need to go to the convent separately. He didn't want to see Anna again until it was time to perform the exorcism. So that's why he had these other priests take her. Father Steiger was supposed to pick him up from the train station. He had recently bought a new car and was confident that picking up Father Risinger himself was the most reliable option. But when he tried to start his car, it stalled, and it took him over two hours to get to the train station. When he finally got there, Father Risinger was sitting there calmly. He wasn't surprised at all. He told his friend that his car troubles were the work of the devil, of course. He believed that the devil wanted to prevent the exorcism so that he could keep torturing Anna. Or maybe they were just driving a shitty Ford. (laughs) That's another possibility. Definitely is. Eventually, though, Father Reisinger arrived at the convent with Anna. And then on August 17th, 1928, the next exorcism commenced. They set up Anna in a room, and the nuns who lived at the convent watched over her. These same nuns would also be assisting with the exorcism. All through the day and the night, Anna lashed out at them, barely touched any food that they brought her, She oftentimes made animal sounds, mostly when she was near religious objects that was blessed with holy water. One nun tried to help Anna by sprinkling her meal with some holy water. Oh, that's a great idea. Hey, Anna, here's your, here's your dinner. How about a little water on top of that for you? (laughs) And then I can just imagine her being like, like just going crazy as the water is like, hitting her fried chicken like (laughs) you know they're giving her some kfc sprinkling water on it. oh definitely dude she's just going crazy man she was repulsed she's like why are you doing this to me and started acting like a cat she meowed and hissed and wouldn't eat until they brought her a new meal sounds like my cat (laughs) other times anna would howl screech bark or growl while writhing around on the bed, contorting her body into unnatural positions. And this would go on 
for a very long time. She'd make animal noises for hours, and she would get louder and louder and louder as her behavior kept getting wilder and wilder. At one point, the nun said that it sounded like there was a pack of lions in her room. Imagine that. Imagine being that nun. <laughs> what the, What do you think has happened? Like, I would be freaking the fuck out. That's what's going on. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Betty, there's... Sounds like there's some fucking lions <laughs> in there. Like, holy shit. Like, think about that for a second. If that is all real and she's sounding like a bunch of lions are going at it, like... That's terrifying. I I feel bad for her if she's being tormented that much. And then Anna made the very distinct barking and cackling sounds that hyenas make. Listen to this. That was not Anna, but that is what hyenas sound like and she was making noises that sounded very similar to that and as you can imagine when she would make these hyena sounds the nuns were fucking terrified they couldn't sit with her for very long before they had to go and change their underwear (laughs) and switch places with the next nun so they'd take shifts to to sit in the room with her but knowing like nothing that they do will even help her you know you're just sitting there watching her yeah like, you're babysitting go through that yeah making sure she doesn't like run and jump out the window or something i guess i mean right what's the point even of sitting there but these noises that anna would make were so loud that the people outside of the convent could hear and people would be like walking past and then they'd hear the herd of lions or you know pride of lions fighting upstairs or the hyena going off at three in the morning <laughs> you can imagine that people around the town are like what the what's going on in the convent man this is really scary shit so finally the first exorcism began on august 18th and it lasted for eight days father Reisinger was prepared for this difficult task at hand He knew it would take all of his energy and his concentration in order to free Anna of this demonic possession. The nuns had come back to Father Reisinger and said, she turns into a hyena around 3 a.m. every night. (laughs) It's absolutely terrifying. They said that they even had to hold her hands and arms down at times in order to keep her from hurting herself or anyone else that was nearby. They also tied her sleeves so that she could just keep her clothes on because that's how wild she was i mean it wasn't just the noises i mean physically she's just going crazy so father risinger is under the crunch and he needs to get this ritual started asap so he does and he begins by starting to recite the names of the holy trinity which if you don't know what that is father son holy spirit if you ever see you know catholics say go father son holy spirit right is that right yeah yeah so they do that every time they pray and yeah i mean we grew up uh with a we have a catholic side of our family actually so we're we see this all the time yeah i was gonna say is that the same prayer that our grandparents use before every meal you know the blesses our our lord these are gifts yeah i think that's a specific one for for like blessing your food but gotcha. <laughs> i don't think that one works quite as well with an with exorcism. an exorcism yeah but but it is the same concept of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's a different prayer. There's, you know, oh, I there's gotcha. tons of different prayers for different things. 
So Father Reisinger starts it off with the Holy Trinity, and just that alone causes Anna to just go absolutely berserk. Her arms completely just yank free from whatever is restricting her to the bed, and she actually flew out of it like she jumped through the air and landed near the top of the door, balancing sideways on the wall. Oh, wow. Imagine that. That's that, a that's crazy literally sight. the scene from Conjuring right there. Yeah. Like up on top of the door area, perched up there, just looking unhuman, <laughs> like inhuman, like absolutely terrifying, man. She's growling, she's babbling Latin, and she will not move from that place. And the three priests and the nuns that were there are just completely shocked. Like, just jaws drop to the ground. They're like, uh, <laughs> dude, I, I can only I don't imagine. Blame them. Like, yeah. I'm sure they've probably never seen something like that before. Father Reisner, like, oh my, what are we dealing with here? So they go and they try to pull her down. They're like, Father Reisinger says, nuns, go pull her down. Try to secure her back to the bed. Stay calm, everybody. It's okay. God is here. But little did they know that this was only the beginning of the horrors that were about to take place. So each morning they would continue this exorcism kind of the same way. And they would give Anna a teaspoon of water or milk. But other than that, that was all she would eat. Anna vomited, urinated, and defecated in amounts that seemed impossible for anyone. But it was especially shocking since Anna wasn't eating anything. She was still producing all of this excrement. It's crazy. She would often foam at the mouth and vomit 20 to 30 times per day despite having a teaspoon of water or milk. That is, that is crazy. I wonder if there's anything in science that can explain that. That's, that's wild. Sometimes she vomited up only liquid. Other times, though, it was recognizable items, like tobacco leaves, that would come up. What? Yeah, what? Imagine how nasty Ugh. that stench was in that room from her vomit, containing tobacco leaves and throw up oh my god <laughs> can you imagine that like, no way they must have been airing out that bedroom 24 <laughs> 7 seriously i wonder if they wear masks or just like <laughs> some gas masks like my god it Definitely seems, it seems like one. this is something that's fairly common the stench the you know demonic entity or whatever it is is creating this nasty nasty smell and attempts to get people the fuck out of there is what I assume on top of it smelling like shit all the time. Anna physically attacked father rising her multiple times. He was able to keep his composure during the exorcisms, but oftentimes by the end of the day, he was left shaking and completely weak. Like all the life had been taken out of him. When he performed these exorcisms every day, Anna was barely conscious. She seemed to be in a comatose state. Her eyes were closed so tightly that they couldn't even be forced open. Also, she seemed completely unaware of anything happening around her. Then, she would seem to suddenly turn into someone or something else. And she would, boom, be awake and growling and hissing, 
speaking in several different languages, including English, German, and Latin. And her voice became very unrecognizable and was changing rapidly. So father decided that it was time to know who was possessing Anna. And when he asked, the demons or the entity responded, many. He eventually talked to five separate and distinct voices that belonged to the five main demons possessing her. And these included, get ready for this, inside of Anna tormenting her was her own father, Jacob, and Aunt Mina. On top of that, she has to deal with the family angle. She's dealing with Judas Iscariot, Beelzebub, and Lucifer himself. That is a heavy load right there. Wow. That wasn't it, though. Other lesser demons would swarm inside of Anna, screaming over one another as Father Risinger tried to talk to the main five. He would have to stop periodically to drive these lesser demons away, beat them back, before he could continue speaking to the five main entities. Father Risinger ended up concluding this first level two exorcism on August 26, after eight days straight of this. It was also at this time that Anna opened her eyes for the first time and was suddenly wide awake, which I guess this is a good sign. But everyone who had assisted Father Risinger seemed to need to recover from this as well. The exorcism had taken a major toll on them, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. But after recovering for a few weeks, taking a few weeks off, you know, take a quick vacay, jump on a cruise, you know, hit the Caribbean, they were back at it again for the next round of exorcisms. Knowing that they're literally dealing with Lucifer, Beasel, like the some of the top of the top demons out there, man. Whew. I would need a vacation too after that, man. Definitely. That was some draining shit right there. But on September 13th, Father Risinger gathered everyone around and said, let's go team. Let's do this again. This time, the next exorcism lasted seven days. Father Risinger started the second session with a plan to get more details from each of the main demons. And he hoped to use this information in order to help drive them out of her, basically used against them. When he spoke to the demons, they answered in whatever language that he used with them. Father Risinger believed that they could speak any language as well. So he decided to talk to Beelzebub first. Beelzebub spoke in broken sentences, making it very difficult to piece together what he was saying. Beelzebub said he was the demon who possessed Anna when she was a teenager. So he knew Father Risinger very well. And he wasn't happy with the priest who had exiled him from Anna all those years ago. And this time, he wasn't going to give up so easily. During these conversations with Beelzebub, we also learned that when Anna was 14 years old, Satan sent Beelzebub to possess her after being commanded to do so by her father, Jacob. Her own father actually summoned Satan to help him punish her for her refusing his sexual advances. Does it get more evil than that? Next, Father Risinger talked some more with Judas. He asked if he was the apostle Judas Iscariot who had betrayed Jesus Christ. If you know that whole story, that's where Judas Iscariot comes from. He was the one who literally basically caused the death of Jesus to happen at all. 
And I mean, some would say, well, that was what was supposed to happen. It was God's plan to happen that way. But maybe not. Maybe if it wasn't for Judas Iscariot, maybe Jesus would have never died on the cross, as the story goes. When he spoke to Judas, Judas responded in a very loud, booming voice that resonated through the room. Now, you got to remember, this is coming from Anna Eklund. Imagine that. Imagine having a conversation with five different entities through this woman. It's insane. And when he asked Judas this, he responded that, yes, I am the one who betrayed Jesus. And when he said this, his words seemed to shake the walls. This frightened the nuns so badly that they just fled out of the room. And they huddled together outside, just trembling and refusing to go back in. Judas then told Father Reisinger that he had been sent by Lucifer. His mission was to drive Anna to suicide by hanging. He said, quote, She must get the rope. She must go to hell. When it was Jacob's turn to speak, he explained that he had been sent to hell as punishment for what he did to his daughter when he was alive. But he wasn't being punished for trying to have sex with her. He was in hell because he convinced his mistress, Mina, to curse his own daughter. He went on to say that he possessed Anna because he was still angry that she refused to have sex with him. His only motive was to torture her and cause her as much pain and suffering as possible. How evil could a father possibly be? Aunt Mina spoke next. She told Father Risinger that she had been sent to hell for her affair with Jacob and for murdering her own children. At first she said she had murdered three of her children Then she remembered that there was a fourth. When she spoke, her sentences were disorganized. She had no remorse for murdering her children, and she brought with her such a cold, evil presence that she was the most disturbing of the demons possessing Anna, according to Father Reisinger. Aunt Mina talked about practicing witchcraft and the curse that she and Jacob had put on Anna. But then, finally, Father Reisinger summoned lucifer himself but instead of answering his questions this demon was purely focused on father steiger because lucifer knew that father steiger had serious regrets about allowing an exorcism to occur in his district the demon taunted him called out his anxieties and tried to turn father steiger against father risinger because again father steiger's right there with father risinger and the whole time lucifer's playing fucking mind games with father steiger trying to get him to stop Father Risinger, most likely. Just mocking him, pointing out every little thing that he did wrong, that he should regret, trying to build up that rage inside him to take out Father Risinger. During these episodes, when they're talking to these demons, Anna is just spitting and vomiting everywhere, all over the priests as well. So the priests were constantly like wiping shit off their face, wiping stuff off of them the whole time that they're actually communicating with these demons inside of Anna. When Father Risinger tried to give her Holy Communion again, she became violent and full of rage, as she always did. The other demons that were inside her continued to break through with howls and moans of pain, and it was hard to carry on conversations with the main demons, and it only added to the chaos and the confusion. But what was very clear was that Anna's body was under tremendous strain. She would become almost weightless, her body hovering just above the mattress. Then she would drop and sink into the mattress under the crushing weight 
as if her body was as heavy as lead. The iron legs of the bed frame would then bend under this enormous pressure being put on her, and Anna's face and body would then turn a bright red and swell up so much that it looked like it might burst. Her face was so swollen, she was unrecognizable at this point. Her limbs stretched beyond what seemed possible. Her eyes and lips swelled up to five times their normal size. Her bodies twisted in unnatural, seemingly impossible positions. And the whole time, she would keep swelling up until finally she would completely deflate, becoming frail and weak. Her stomach hardened and her skin turned a ghostly white. All the while, the stench in the room grew so bad that no one could stay inside for longer than a few minutes without becoming physically sick. Swarms of flies and mosquitoes started appearing out of nowhere and would disappear just as quickly as they appeared. Anna would curse and scream at everyone around her, and she would speak about sins each of them had committed in shocking detail. And any time they would sprinkle some holy water on her skin, it sizzled and burned. It would like bubble up. All the demons, though, eventually joined Lucifer in taunting Father Steiger. They mocked and insulted him until he couldn't take it anymore. Father Steiger was already anxious all the time, and he wasn't sleeping well and would often lay awake just tossing and turning all night. He would often hear what he thought was rats scratching behind the walls, and the room sometimes shook until it felt like the walls were caving in, literally having like panic attacks over this. When he felt like he was going into a panic attack, he pulled religious objects close to him and recited prayers, and the noises and the shaking eventually stopped, but he still couldn't sleep. He was starting to unravel and dreaded going back into Anna's room the next day. Father Steiger at this point was also very angry at his lifelong friend, Father Reisinger, for bringing this mess to his parish. It was difficult for him to even look at him at this point. But this whole time, Father Reisinger stayed calm. He knew how angry Father Steiger was, but he reminded his friend that this was the work of the devil. The devil was trying to come between them. He said that they needed to resist these feelings of anger and doubt or else the devil would win. Father Steiger eventually agreed and decided he would carry on, but the demons kept torturing him because they sensed his weakness and vulnerability. They would threaten him repeatedly, saying that soon his parish would turn against him and he would lose everything. And Lucifer would say, I'll incite the whole parish against you. You'll have to pack up and leave in shame and regret. Then, one day, Lucifer told Father Steiger that he wanted to hurt God. And the only way to do that was by hurting his followers. Lucifer said, just wait until the end of the week. When Friday comes, then, then his voice trailed off. After this happened, Father Steiger became more afraid than he had ever been before and was dreading what would happen at the end of the week. And early in the day that Friday, he was called by a local farmer. The farmer asked him to give the last rites to his dying mother. This farmer said he would pick up Father Steiger but his car wouldn't start. So Father Steiger decided to drive himself. Again, his car was almost brand new, but he was still paranoid that something could go wrong. He said a prayer and drove slowly and cautiously, making his way to the farmer's home with no issues. On his way back, though, Father Steiger started to drive over a bridge when suddenly the sky turned dark. He couldn't see anything in front of him, and then a black cow appeared in front of the car. In a panic, he turned the wheel and crashed through the railings of the bridge and the car stopped just before falling over the edge into a deep 
ravine. In order to get out of the car and escape, Father Steiger had to carefully climb out as it teetered over the side of the bridge. One wrong move, and it could have tipped the whole thing over into the ravine. When he finally stepped onto solid ground, he was met by a farmer who had heard the crash and came to help. He then took Father Steiger to a doctor to be checked out and then drove him home. Miraculously, he had no injuries, but his new car was totaled. And he knew right away that the devil had tried to kill him that night. Even after going through all this, that night he still returned to Anna's room. And Lucifer started speaking almost immediately. The demon laughed and said, I certainly showed him up today. What about your new auto? That dandy car, which was smashed to smithereens, it serves you right. Apparently, this just solidified everything for Father Steiger. And he knew that the devil had tried to kill him that day. After this incident, Father Reisinger decided everyone needed another break to recover. Not only was Father Steiger headed for maybe the final breakdown of his life, but Anna had gotten so frail and battered that they feared for her life at this point as well. So they concluded the second exorcism on September 20th after seven days straight. This wasn't going to be the last exorcism, and Father Steiger knew this. And this made him even more anxious than ever before, as he was unsure of what the next exorcism might hold. This time they took a longer break though. Father Reisinger had seen how beaten down his companions were, and waited almost three months before starting again. This time, the third and final exorcism began on December 15, 1928. All the usual things continued as before. The stench, the vomiting, the insults, the threats. And even after the long break, Father Steiger couldn't handle much. His mind state was very weak. And this time, he limited the amount of time he actually spent with Anna. As he would go around and just busy himself with anything else he could possibly do around the convent. Father Reisinger, on the other hand, was giving this round all he had. He stayed in the room with Anna for hours at a time, and he managed to drive away some of the lesser demons, and this made him more determined than ever to save Anna from all the demonic possessions. He stayed with her for three days and three nights without taking a break from the rituals. At this point, he was running on fumes. He was exhausted and drained, but he refused to give up. On December 23rd, after days of constant rituals, Anna suddenly jumped up from the bed, hanging in mid-air. The only part of her still touching the bed were the heels of her feet that were just barely grazing the sheet. And that's when Father Reisinger saw a vision, the room filled with flames. He then saw Lucifer and Beelzebub huddled in one corner. They were trapped there and they couldn't move from that spot. They were also angry that they couldn't lunge forward and attack the priest, and they seemed unable to control Anna. Lucifer was the much more intimidating presence. His entire body was covered in rough black fur. When he stood all the way up on his hooved feet, his head reached the ceiling, and all the demons were seething with rage, and the walls of the room started to shake violently. Anna then said, Demons, Judas, Jacob, Mina, Hell, 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 praise to be Jesus Christ. Then the shaking stopped and Anna fell back on the bed and the room became very quiet. Anna then opened her eyes. She looked at Father Reisinger and smiled 
And she said, My Jesus, mercy, praise be Jesus Christ. The demons were gone. The only thing left of them was the lingering stench. After this, Anna made a full recovery and went on to live a normal life. She said she occasionally felt the presence of evil spirits, but now she was strong enough to drive them away herself. Four months after the final exorcism, she went back to the convent to thank those who had helped her. But everyone who lived there during the exorcisms had requested to be transferred elsewhere. The nuns and the priests who witnessed the exorcisms were convinced that they had seen the devil. Even though Anna's identity was kept a secret, the news of her exorcism spread throughout the world. This brought a lot of unwanted attention and scrutiny to the Catholic Church. Father Steiger was traumatized by the experience because he just wanted to lead a quiet life out of the spotlight. A theologian named Karl Vogel took an interest in Anna's case and interviewed anyone he could find who was present at the exorcisms. Carl did manage to get an interview with Father Steiger, saying that he planned to publish an informative booklet for other priests to study. And he did. In 1935, he published a book in German called Begone Satan, a soul-stirring account of diabolical possession in Iowa that included a full account of Anna's exorcism. Which I think it should have been Father Reisinger who published that book because he was the priest in the trenches while this guy was you know, doing chores towards the end to just yeah, be away out, from man. chickening yeah. out the whole time. Yeah. So it's kind of messed up how in a sense, like he took all that credibility a little bit on like, Hey, yeah. we, we encountered this, this is the way to do it. But I wasn't really involved. <laughs> it was this other guy on the front lines. I was so. downstairs scrubbing the toilet, but <laughs> Risinger was up there battling Lucifer. Man. Right. Yeah. It's just crazy. I agree with you. I think it's a little strange that, Father Steiger's, you know, kind of trying to come in with the... Yeah, like he did something. Like he deserves a clout or something. Like, no, man, you didn't do anything. You were just there, scared. Yeah. Being taunted and mocked the whole time. Father Reisinger was the one actually doing the rituals, Mm -hmm. doing the hard work, the heavy lifting. But this book, Begone Satan, was eventually published in English in 1973, and it spread quickly through the Catholic Church and was eventually distributed more widely than Father Steiger was led to believe. And it can actually still be bought online today. This guy, Carl Vogel, also interviewed a housekeeper who publicly confirmed all the details in the book about the exorcism and said some of the scenes were even more shocking and gruesome than described. That's crazy. So what the... F- now we know there's a f- housekeeper. So what's Steiger doing? Right. He's down there working with the housekeeper <laughs> while Father Reisinger is battling Satan? Pretty on, much. Like, that doesn't make any sense. What's also interesting is that Father Steiger actually died very early in life, in his mid-50s actually, on November 8, 1938. Father Reisinger, on the other hand, continued to perform exorcisms and was known all over the world. And he was even featured in Time Magazine in 1936. Nice. Good, I'm glad he got his recognition that he deserves. I mean, you should. And as far as we know, if Anna Eklund's real identity is this Emma Bush Schmidt, then we know her date of death was on July 23rd, 1941, at 59 years old. So not that, that's not a very, very long life. Mm-mm. What's even crazier, though, is that a few months later after Emma Bush Schmidt died, on November 9th, 1941, Father Reisinger died at 73 years old. It's interesting how Father Steiger, Anna Eklund died 50s. Reisinger made it to 70s, but the deaths were so close together and in time like days 
maybe there's some correlation there. I don't know. But you can actually go and visit the gravestone of Emma Bush Schmidt. She's buried in Iowa. But that's about all we know about Anna Eklund. We know that potentially she's this Emma Bush Schmidt. And if she is, then you know her final resting place was in Iowa. And she did go on to have a normal life, have a husband. I think she had eight kids. And one of them, uh, her last child actually just died in 2014. So none of them are alive anymore. But again, we don't know for sure if this is even Anna Eklund or not. We don't know, but many believe it is. But that's the story of Anna Eklund and the exorcisms that she went through. I mean, that's very, very intense. I mean, just I'm picturing this the entire time. And just, you know, if any of this is true, this must have been just an absolutely horrifying experience that defies all reality i mean to experience somebody that is you know physically moving in ways that is not natural on top of speaking languages they don't know to making animal sounds to making to literally channeling different identities that are coming forward and saying i am this i am lucifer i am these demons that is pretty profound and, you know, the re- whole reason we know this is because of the transcripts that were written as a result of Father Reisinger and Father Steiger. That's how we know this whole story. That's all of these details came straight from them. And I don't know about you, but I feel like Mina and her father, Jacob, were probably the main reason of how she became possessed in the first place, because it sounds like Mina really knew what she was doing with the black magic, witchcraft, you know, and that could have been the main reason why Anna became a target and became vulnerable for those, you know, demons to enter her body and, and like take over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like clearly there was some, you know, demonic rituals that were done. There was, I mean, he literally said that Jacob asked Satan to help him basically take over her and torment her. So yeah, I mean this, if this is all real, then this just shows you that, you know, curses are real, that there is ways to bring about horrible things like this onto people. But then again, I mean, on the other side, maybe this is just, I mean, a lot of people would have to be making up a lot of crazy stuff for this to all be fake, but there is always this possibility that, you know, We don't have the hard evidence. I mean, again, if it's this profound, there's this many exorcisms. Why haven't the actual films been released? Where are all the audio recordings? You know, they didn't go to that length. You know, they kept it very private, very secret. But I'm like, seems like this would be a great, you know, bit of evidence to have, you know, for to show people be like, we're not making this shit up. This is real. Satan is real. Lucifer is real. Here's the proof, right? Here you go. This is what can happen if you worship the devil if you you know curse people if you participate in certain rituals this is the what could happen to you and i feel like catholics would love something like that like or any religion would love something like that to definitively prove Mm -hmm. we are right here's the proof here's lucifer talking to like right think about how profound that would be to watch anna speaking to us as lucifer in the flesh like that would be some solid evidence right absolutely 
So for me, I always have a little bit of skepticism and I'm like, well, they could have probably, I mean, this was the early 1900s, so technology is limited, but I'm like, there's got to, there had to have been a way to capture something visible, physical in some way. And I mean, all we have are eyewitness accounts and people that were there. So again, you got to, you know, always reserve a little room for skepticism with this. I mean, we don't even know if Anna Eklund is real or not. You know, we just know based off what we've been told. So maybe could all be made up. It's possible. So I don't know. I just keep an open mind about it. I think that spiritual, I think there is a spiritual realm and I think there are positive and negative entities. Do I think it's Lucifer, the devil, and it's, you know, exactly the way the Bible describes it? Not necessarily. Do I think that they could embellish some things in these accounts? Absolutely. I think they could have been seeing something completely, you know, unnatural and unexplained phenomena happening. But for all we know, who knows? It could have been aliens interfering. I mean, we don't know. It could have been, there's a lot of different possibilities. Or it could have been an absolutely insane case of schizophrenia. Or there's so many crazy mental health issues and, and illnesses out there that will change people that will make people become, I mean, if you've ever seen, you know, uh, people with multiple personalities, mm-hmm. uh, disorder, I don't know if that's the right name or not, but if you've ever seen people like that, it's, it's pretty, it, it definitely kind of shocks you. You're like, wow, like this person believes they're this, this and that. So is it possible that a devout Catholic girl, woman that grows up in the faith could come down with a mental illness or disorder of some kind that could, have her sort of flip, you know, flip the script and all of a sudden become evil possessed. I am these multiple things. Cause I find it very interesting that the two demons, they said that she was possessed by were her dad and her aunt Mina. That to me is very weird. Oh yeah. They're in there with Lucifer, Judas Iscariot, Beazle, like the three most profound with her, basically her aunt and her dad. That to me makes me think, hmm, maybe this is a mental illness just completely undiagnosed that just went way out of control, no, never treated, and I don't know. Or it could just be an act. I mean, who knows? Because the fact that she all of a sudden gets better after the you know third exorcism, I mean, nothing really was different from mm-hmm. the other two. So it's like, well, I don't know. It's really hard to say, but there's your possibilities. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think mental health was a big possibility there. And I know if this would have happened around our time or even a little later on, you know, they would have been able to do a much better diagnosis than saying, you know, she went through countless you know, mental health physicians and they Nothing. had no idea what was going on. Just baffles me because you're telling me like they can't find one reason from the behavior that she's giving. I, uh, I just no. don't get it. No. So again, you got to just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, is it possible this was a real case of demonic possession? Sure. Anything's possible. Could have been alien possession. I mean, it could be, we don't know what it is. It's, it may not be demons in the sense that it's, you know, Satan's minions. It could right. be something completely. We don't even know about because we can't comprehend it. So I, you just got to remain open to all the possibilities. And I think that with this one, it's just really comes down to what, what do you believe? What do you believe happened in Anna Eklund? And with that, let us know.
Let us know in the comments what you guys think happened to Anna Eklund. I'm very genuinely interested to hear your thoughts. But that is where we will end today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the Lights Out podcast. Again, we are going to be bringing you some really, really interesting stuff. Some really freaky stuff too that's going to definitely make you want to turn the lights on, not off. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. But until next time, lights out everybody. <laughs>